0: Oh man, is it good to see some people? Are you enjoying that? Yes. Anybody meet anybody new? You meet somebody new? Oh, how about that? Met somebody new. It's so good. Even Jay. Even Jay. That's good. So you know we're we're in this series. It's called uh honest to God, we're going through some of the Psalms, and we're kind of helping the Psalms teach us how to deal with our feelings and emotions. And as we've gone through the last several months, many of us have dealt with lots of feelings or emotions that we don't know what to do with, things like anger, anxiety, or fear, lots of things that we aren't sure how to process or what to do. And the Psalms teach us how to do that. Now, we're going to wrap up the series today and next week. Next week, we'll wrap it up with Probably the most comforting, maybe the most famous, the most well-known psalm, the 23rd psalm, and there's some deep truths that will really be meaningful to us when we get to that. we we'll wrap it up all next week, but today we want to take a bit of a turn, and I want you to grasp a little bit why we believe the psalms help us find our way when it comes to our walk with God, how to deal with our emotions, and how we might even grow as we make it through this journey of life that can be complex there's one scripture in the New Testament that helps paint this picture for us that I want to spend just a moment or two. I want you to think of the Psalms through this lens of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Here's what the author of Hebrews says. For the word of God is what? Alive, Alive and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's a great picture that there's this, this, uh, this tool that the word of God is. And it, it allows things to happen through our interaction with Scripture that can't happen in any other way. And it's because Scripture is alive, it's active, not all books are like that, and it is sharp as a a sword, a double-edged sword. When I see that, I I don't think of a sword because we don't use swords. I think of maybe a good kitchen knife, you know, the one that you always go to in the drawer when you need to cut something really clean, really sharply, there's one knife that you have and, and that's the one you grab. I think of The kinds of experiences that we have when we're engaged in a surgery or some sort of medical experience, you want somebody that is skilled and and very careful, but you also want them to have the right tools and a sharp scalpel can do things that nothing else can do. And so this is the quality that is described in Hebrews 4.12. This is what happens with the word of God, but the good stuff is in the rest of the verse, but that's just the very first part. So same verse Author continues, the word of God, it penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges. Probably a better word than judges, because we, we feel a little funny about this word judges. We, we don't want to be judged. It is a discerner, is probably the, the better translation. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Now, it's just one verse of scripture. It is so complex and so nuanced and so multi layered. I've added a few words in the next little graphic you'll see to help us understand what's going on here. And these are, are words that I've added that are helpful as we kind of ponder what joints and marrow are and soul and spirit. So the Word of God, it penetrates even to dividing the, the soul. And the spirit. The the word there for soul in the Greek is the word psyche. And we think mostly of psychology and the study of the mind, the study of motivations, the study of why we do what we do, all the things that are represented by this discipline of psychology. And we understand so much more about psychology than even when this was written um, a couple thousand years ago. This idea of why I do what I do, well, this is deeply embodied in the Psalms the emotions that are drawn out, the things that David experiences, the the feelings that he has, all of these things are talked about deeply and significantly. And you might remember some of the things that we have discussed through this series, anxiety and depression and feeling forsaken, if you remember Veronica's Psalm 22. But it divides the soul and the spirit or the pneuma. This is what's inside of me, my motivations. This is what God has put inside of me. Is breath in me. It's what he did when he created me, and it's what he did when I surrendered my life to him. And so that's me, and this is the God in me. You could survey a thousand theologians throughout history to try to get them to tell you or describe or even articulate what is the difference between the soul and the spirit, and you'll get a thousand different answers. Nobody can do it. Uh, They have some similarities. There are some differences. But to understand the two different terms here, well, it takes the Word of God to do that. The Word of God is such a sharp scalpel that it could differentiate between the soul and the spirit. And we're just getting started. It not only does that, it delineates or divides joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts, which is the rational thought, it's a part of my brain that weighs pros and cons. It's the part of my brain that makes a decision, not from my emotions, but from what I know to be good and true and right. That's my thoughts. And through this series, it's been that what we know circle, if you remember where we've been. And then there's also this what we feel circle, and this is the attitudes, the meditations and the feelings is probably the better way to say it, of the what? The heart, the cardia. It's a Greek word. And the cardia is the very seat of our person. It's who we are. This is how powerful and unique the word of God is. It, it does all of this. And it's not doing it with a wave of a magic wand. It's because God is embodied in it and authors wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But the power of scripture is that it Exposes me for who I am, and it brings my thoughts, meditations, my soul, my spirit, all into the light so that God can allow me to deal with it. Some of us were brought up in traditions or churches or maybe even families where our feelings were set aside as good or not beneficial, or we were told that we just don't even do anything with that. We don't know how to process or how to even dig into sorting out what our emotions mean or how they might lead us either toward God or away from God. And it's good that the scriptures can help us down this path because we have lots of feelings that we don't know what to do with in that way. Let me give you a list of some feelings that might be some things that you have felt from time to time. Now, I'll throw up a list of bullets, I'll read through them, but maybe they can be things that you can kind of silently take a little survey in your mind and see how many of these apply to you, okay? So here's a list. Sometimes I overreact. Maybe that applies to you, maybe it doesn't. Sometimes I can get really defensive. Could be you, maybe not. Now, that's two, we've got six to go. Be sure you're answering these on behalf of yourself, Not on behalf of somebody who's sitting nearby you. Okay, so we want to only confess our own sins, not the sins of others, okay? I can feel quite numb and detached. Sometimes I feel sad and I'm not sure why. I can get pretty angry about small things. What do we mean by that? You know, the, the problem is this big, but my anger is this big. The offense was this big, but my anger is disproportionate to what happened. And the only reason you know that is because somebody says to you, why are you so angry? They were in the room when the same thing happened to you, that they saw everything, but they don't understand your reaction. Sometimes I feel like no one understands me. So, six bullets. You did a little survey. How many of you would say at least one of these applies to you? Let me see your hands. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, about the same as first service and probably online as well, although we can't see their hands. That's the benefit of staying home for church. How many of you would say at least half of these? There's at least three on the list that apply to you and your life and your own emotions. Let me see your hands. Yeah, almost the exact same number of people. How many of these apply to the person that you love the most, all six? Yeah. And so you might even ponder, you might even ponder how somebody else would answer this on your behalf? That's different, isn't it? That puts it in a little bit of a different light. How would they evaluate me and what would I do? So when we see this list and we see these things, we do all kinds of things with these feelings. Let's pick one out, for example. Sometimes I can get really defensive. So when we have this feeling, sometimes we just have it, we experience it and say we're sorry and then move on, and we don't know what to do with it. When you read the Psalms, you can see very clearly that David has a tendency occasionally to get pretty defensive. He can get quite defensive about his own actions or his life. He can have some very strong feelings about his enemies. In fact, David says in the Psalms very plainly that he hates his enemies and he wants God to destroy his enemies. And when he says these things, you think, why in the world is that even in Scripture? But if you've ever had this feeling, being very defensive, and you're not quite sure how to deal with it, you feel like it's not very holy, it's not very much like Jesus would want me to act, and I have some feelings about other people that I don't even know what to do with, but they're present and they're there, and I can ignore them, but they always seem to show up, then you could read one of the Psalms, because the Psalms will give you a roadmap for this feeling and what to do with it and where to go with it. And we've done that throughout this series over and over and over again. But you could very easily just pull up your little Google search window and you could type in a feeling that you're having an issue with. You could write Psalms about anger and you'll see a list of many. And that Psalm will give you a roadmap of what to do with your anger. It doesn't solve your problem. It doesn't mean you won't be angry, but it does help you get to a place where you are able to redeem these feelings and not ignore them, not bottle them up, not box them up and put them on the shelf only to come roaring back later. But these feelings will then help you understand that God created you, heart, soul, and mind. And that doesn't mean that everything about you is pure and holy, but God wants to drive, lead, and help you walk down a path where you can understand what to do with all of these emotions and the psalms well they teach us how to do that you know why well you just saw why this word of god the scriptures and this is particularly true of the psalms they'll divide your thoughts and your attitudes they'll help you understand what is you and your motivations and what is god it's the way the word of god works it's as sharp as a scalpel. Now, most of those emotions, those six bullets in particular, and the ones we've dealt with through this series, they have sort of a negative connotation. They're not the best things that we want to be feeling, things like anxiety or depression or feeling forsaken. But those aren't the only feelings that we feel. We have lots of feelings, and those aren't the only feelings that are addressed in the Psalms. The Psalms addresses the widest variety of feelings you could ever wonder or imagine about, and it addresses almost every feeling you and I have ever felt some of the feelings that we have aren't negative like those others they're positive and warm and they engender a lot of trust and hope deep within our souls and the psalms talk about those too i've got another little list of questions for you okay a little feeling survey uh, i wonder if you have felt these things as well Sometimes, and there's, there's only five, so it's a little easier for you. you, you I, I want you to do the same thing. Does, does this bullet apply to you? Does this statement apply to you? Sometimes a feeling of gratitude just fills me. Has that ever happened to you? You can ponder this and kind of consider whether this is something that occurs to you occasionally. And you might not even know why. You might even know, not, not even know how to name it. But gratitude just sort of kind of wells up inside of you. So every once in a while, maybe less lately, but for some of you, maybe more Every once in a while, I just feel a sense of peace. I have a sense of peace. And you would think based on what's going on around me or my family or my world, I would not have this peace, but I do. I can be amazed at how protected I've been. And so occasionally you'll be sitting somewhere, maybe you're with your family, you'll be pondering the the last, I don't know, however many months or years that kind of just is rolling through your mind, this little slideshow of your life and you can think about the number of times that God has protected you and you'll just think I can't believe I made it out of that alive that's just I mean you know I don't want to be over dramatic but that's just incredible I can't believe God protected us Here's another one Occasionally even when things are chaotic a calmness seems to settle on me Here's the last one When I'm out in nature I can just be utterly completely overwhelmed with reverence and awe. And so how many of you would say that at least three of these things would apply to you? You, you would say, I experienced those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, what's interesting about this, and I think this is true across the population, and it doesn't even have a lot to do with whether or not somebody believes in God or not. I believe that these are the kinds of things that happen to the population, even if they aren't sure what to do with these feelings or where to put them, even if they aren't even sure there is a a grand design behind all of this stuff that's in front of us, but they have these feelings and they don't understand why they're there or what they're supposed to do with it. The Psalms talk about what to do with these feelings. Now, you as a follower of Jesus or somebody that has some understanding of who God is or why we're here or how the world got here and how you got here to begin with, you might believe and think that you know what to do exactly with these feelings. But when you read the Psalms, there are some very specific steps that I believe the scriptures teach us regarding these feelings and the many more that are positive and warm and good and all those kinds of things that God wants us to take with these feelings. And when we learn a couple of these things from the Psalms, not only do they build our faith, increase our hope, deepen our walk with God, but they also give us a, a, a way for us to manage anxiety and fear and depression and all the other negative things that we experience. In fact, another way to say it would be, when you learn how to operate this muscle, the other muscles get a little more atrophied. And it's powerful. So, we've been through some of the Psalms that talk about the negative ones, but the vast majority of the Psalms in Scripture, there's 150, the vast majority of the Psalms are about these things. The vast majority. They are Psalms of praise and Psalms of thanksgiving. The longest, Psalm 150, I mean, you you can't hardly even open up the Psalms without reading these things. And you've sung the lyrics, you've read the words. And most of the power in the Psalms is centered around Psalms of thanksgiving and praise. We gave you a couple to read this week. One was Psalm 136, another was Psalm 107, just to give you a taste. Here's how it begins. Psalm 136 begins this way. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And this is... One of the most common statements you'll find in the Psalms. This is very blanket statement, and it's become a little greeting among some people in Christian circles. God is good, and somebody else says something like, "All the time, and all the time He is good." And this is all the sentiment that's wrapped up in many of the Psalms. This was probably a call and response. We have a couple songs like that we sing, where Josh sings a line and we echo something back, or we sing something different in response. It's call and response. And so we'll try that right now. I'll read through this old section. It's just the first three verses of Psalm 136. But this statement makes a declaration. And then this statement gives us a truth and helps us understand why this is true. And so we'll say this together, and then I'll read this one again, and you guys will say the, the words in green each time. It's not hard. It's the same statement repeated. I think you guys are up to the challenge. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good because his love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, because his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, his love endures forever. And the psalm goes on, and it paints a picture and a road map for the feelings and then the understanding that you might have when you have one of those good feelings. When you have gratitude that's welling up in you and you have this sense that God is with me. And the Psalm teaches you what to do with it. This very first word up here, give thanks. It's a powerful word. It's a good word. This is the Hebrew. It might not mean anything to you, but this is how you would say it if you were going to try it, transliterate it into English. Yada. You got to give a little something at the end of it. You got to save it for the second syllable. Say it with me. Yadah. You see, you got to, you got to, you got to punch it there. Punch it one more time. Ready? And this means that I'm giving thanks. It's different than when somebody holds a door open for you and you say thank you though. This Hebrew word implies that you are recognizing that there is something to be attributed to somebody else and you're acknowledging that. You could translate it praise or confess. Could mean that you are confessing a truth that this psalm reminds you of, all of this is wrapped up in this one tiny little word that we have translated, thanks, in the English. And when we give thanks, when we attribute something to God, then we're saying that there are feelings that I have and I'm gonna point them to a very specific direction. And when I point those feelings to a direction, then I'm acknowledging and attributing the source of them the reason for them and the cause of them to someone outside of myself the psalm gives us some other things to ponder and think about and it goes on it says this who by his understanding made the heavens this is who god is and it repeats again in fact we can say it all together again ready his love endures forever who spread out the earth upon the waters his love endures forever. This is a great phrase. I love it. Spread out the earth upon the waters. David didn't have a, a world map. It didn't exist at the time. The author of the psalm didn't have a globe in his office. He didn't have Google Earth. He didn't have a picture from the moon that you could see the, how the literally it looks like somebody spread out the earth upon the waters. But this is the picture that God gives him for all of creation. This is the beauty of what the words in the psalm teach me to do, to consider who God is and what he's done. And then it says this. is he, the one who made the great lights. Say it with me. His love endures forever. The sun to govern the day, his love endures forever. The moon and the stars to govern the night, his love endures forever. What did you think? when you walked out of your house today? What did you think? It's a great day. Spring is coming. Did you think that? Did you think, my goodness, it's warm? How many of you put your coat back in the house? I don't think snow is in the forecast today. I haven't checked. I mean, it is Colorado. I think it's going to be 70 all day until the sun goes down and you walk out and you feel the warmth. And so the psalmist says, thanks be to God, he made the sun to govern the day and the moon and stars to govern the night. Last summer, I mentioned it once before, we went to the Black Canyon of the Gunnison in our little trailer and Black Canyon area, the national park there, it is a a specified, defined, dark place, which means there has to be Uh, A very specific amount of of light, very little absence of light during the night. And it's about three in the morning and Donna said, you have to come see this. And that usually would aggravate me and irritate me. But I stepped out of the camper and looked up in the sky and I'd heard of lots of stars, but I'd never seen it before. And that's what the sky looked like, a blanket of stars above me. Now, I, I know that That last bullet on that good feeling list many of you have experienced, especially in a place like Colorado. When you're driving maybe west and you have a good elevation and you can see the mountain peaks all the way from longs down to pikes and they're snow-capped maybe for the first time in the fall and you are just overwhelmed with the beauty of God's creation. These are the feelings that David captures throughout the psalm. And through all of the songs that all of the authors write, they point our hearts to a very specific direction. Sometimes it's about the beauty and majesty of creation. Sometimes it's about God's faithfulness in the past. We didn't know how we were going to make it, but we did. And so several Psalms reference the Israelites coming through the Red Sea and being safe from Pharaoh's army. They look to the past over and over and over again, and you do too. You think about the times that God met you in your place of deepest need. Your fear and anxiety was there, but God provided. That he meets our most basic needs. Psalm after psalm says, he gives me enough food. That's enough for thankfulness to flow. The trustworthiness of God's promises and God's leading and direction and provision. The psalms of praise and thanksgiving are incredibly specific about all these things and many more. For David, when he has these feelings, and as an artist and songwriter and the other authors of the Psalms, when they call these things out, they don't just have those warm feelings that we described. There are two very specific things that they do with them, that if you're going to build your faith, move down a direction God wants you to, if you're going to shape your heart and life and emotions after the person of who Jesus is, then We need to understand what these two things are, and they're pretty simple. If you remember anything today, remember these two things. If you take anything with you, even from the whole series, these two things. When this happens in the Psalms, when these things are called out, the psalmist always writes a lyric or makes a statement that is very specific. Call us out of the Red Sea. He gives us our food every day. It's very specific. And then their thoughts and their feelings are purposefully directed to God every time. And that is on purpose. It is not by mistake. It is a design that allows the good feelings that you experience in your life to build your faith, to deepen your hope and understand why you feel the way you feel. That God is in fact with you that his presence is there and that you recognize it, you have named it and you have directed gratitude his way. And so, when you have these feelings and gratitude fills you, sense of peace, you're amazed at how protected you have been, calm, overwhelmed with reverence and awe, when these are the feelings that you experience, it's not enough just to feel them. It's not enough. It's good to receive the gifts that God has given you, but it will not build your faith. It will not shape your heart. It won't direct your path. It's not enough to step out of your house and feel the warmth of the sun and just enjoy it. That's, that's the beginning. But what happens next is that we say, I can't believe how warm it is today. This is amazing. I love it. I love the warmth that I feel. And then I say, Thank you, God, for what you've done. It wasn't like this last Thursday. Man, that was awful, Lord. That was awful. You could say that. David does. But this sun, this is good. This is good. It means that. Even though my muscles ache and I'm out of breath when I reach the top of the incline at Miller Park and I just come over that crest and see the beauty of this little piece of land that I can see. I can see the church from the top of the incline. I can see the roof. I think about you and God's goodness and His provision. It's not enough just for me to have a good feeling. It's important for me to name it. I'm thankful for this body of believers that are knitted together and help other folks find their way down the path to know Jesus, love him more. Thank you, God, for who they are. The two things, naming it and purposefully directing it to God, that begins to change your heart and rewire how you think. When I was little, I'd sit down at a table to eat I love to eat. Man, that's been a lifelong love. I bet it has for you too. As a little kid, maybe three or four or five years old, I'd sit down to eat, and just nom oh, mm, nom. This is how we get this little phrase, nom nom, right? It's the noise we make when we're shoving food down our little pie hole that we love and it's just our mouth can't help but, but just go nom nom nom. And I would say, this is delicious. This is so good. And that's good. It's good to call it. It's good to name it. But it's not enough. My dad Would begin to teach me. Oh, is it good? You've enjoyed it. Yes, really, really good. Well, you should thank your mother. She made it. It's not enough to feel the warmth of the sun and enjoy it. Where did it come from? And so Dad was teaching me. What was he teaching me? Very basic what? Manners. That's right teaching me manners. Where did my thanks belong? Well, you have to direct them somewhere else. Did you you think you saved over the stove, little Philip? Did you you buy that meat? Did you go to the store? No, no, no. It belongs elsewhere. Thank you, mom, for making this. So when we do that, when we are in the habit of saying "yada" or thanks, when we attribute or we acknowledge where our thanks belongs, something happens within us. All the research over the last 10, 20 years on gratitude has exploded. It just absolutely exploded. Uh, You know, every... Uh, higher ed institution in the country has done some empirical double-blind study about the effects of gratitude on the heart and the mind and the life and hope and attitude and perspective and everything. And what what they have found is what's true in Scripture and is evidenced over and over and over again. Gratitude, practicing it on a daily basis, rewires your brain and your heart and your thinking and it allows you to experience hope that you didn't know was possible, It allows you to experience feelings that you didn't know you even had anymore. And it helps you, instead of turning inward, turn outward. Why? When you say thanks, and it's purposeful and directed, you are attributing the good things in your life not to your own effort, not to your own wisdom, not to your own hard work or your own bank account or anything, you're saying this came from someone other than me. And that gratitude that is given then comes back to you in a sense of worship. That's what happens, worship. When we gather on Sunday and we sing lyrics, it's not just to remind us of truth, but it's to place our heart and our lives in a posture before God that is worship, a kneeled heart, a surrendered heart, a mind that says, God, it belongs to you. It did not come from my hand. Oh, you should work hard, absolutely. You should make smart investments. You sure should. And you should be careful with what you have. God's given you resources. But it all comes from him. It came from him to begin with, and he's placed it all in your hands. This is why. You can be sitting somewhere that has nothing to do with anything, and you feel gratitude Welling up, some of you almost to tears, you can just feel it coming. And the gratitude that flows is because God is good and his love endures forever. So we have David's journal. And in his journal, he engaged in the habit of writing down the things he was thankful for and being very specific about what they were and who gets the credit. And so if you and I were going to engage in yada, this giving thanks, offering praise to God and attributing to him, acknowledging the things that he's done, we would need to do the very same thing. I have a journal, much like David's, has in it my failures and my most awful things and it has some amazing things and good things and thanks and gratitude. I wouldn't want you to read it, but David's given us his journal to read that we may learn from it And that we may engage in the same habits. And so what would that look like for you? 28 days makes a habit. How would you engage in the habit of gratitude? Where will you do it? Will you type it into your phone? Do you need a moleskin journal to buy one today? Where will you begin to write down the things? If you were going to do those two things that David teaches us and the other psalm authors teach us. To be specific. And purposeful about our gratitude. What would that look like for you? You want to do this. You know what's waiting for you is freedom like you've never experienced. You deal with anger. This is the antidote. Giving thanks, gratitude habits. You deal with anxiety. Your anxiety is because you're not sure God is going to provide for you in the days to come. You know what will help you find the path to less anxiety is remembering God's faithfulness in the past and giving thanks for it daily. And as you do that, your trust in God and your hope in his provision will build itself because of that habit. I promise you, whatever struggle you have, gratitude will help you find the path forward time and time again. You want to practice? Let's do it. Let me lead you through a prayer. Lord, right now we come to you because we see this example in the Psalms that gratitude is, is deep and real and that it teaches us. We recognize that all that we have has not come from our own hands. It's come from you. And so, Lord, right now, as many of us are in this room and listening online, we just pray that your spirit would guide us. And so, Lord, call to mind right now, very specifically for each one of us, something that you have provided for us. For some of us, it's a job. For some of us, it's uh, other resources to help meet our needs. For some of us, it's a relationship, forgiveness or grace or mercy. Lord, what kind of gift have you given in your thoughtful and abundant provision to each one listening right now. Help them to name it, specifically to name it right now. Lord, we thank you for it. So, right now, just in the quietness of where you are, expressly, purposefully, thank God for his provision. Be specific. Lord, as we close out our time together, here's the question I'm wondering about, Lord, that you would guide us and direct us into our week, that we would daily carve out time uh, to write or type or otherwise find some way to keep a list of the ways that you have met our needs today and in the past, the ways in which you have placed us in such an incredible Amazing and beautiful environment. The ways that you have brought people into our lives that remind us of your grace and mercy. The way for so many in this room and listening online that you have healed, that you have brought wholeness to. Lord, may we pursue gratitude the same way we do the other necessities of life. And may you build in us a grateful heart with our hope squarely focused on you. Help us to live that out this week. So we declare, Lord, right now that you are the one true God, that you are the king of kings and that the story you have been telling since the beginning of time has brought us into a redemptive relationship with you, that you make us new, that you've transformed us. And so now, Lord, through these lyrics and these notes, much like a psalm of old, may we declare this truth and may we live it this week. We ask this in the name of Jesus. We all say together, amen.